don't you know? It's a beautiful new day. Hey, driving down the avenue, and now the sun shines bright. It's not raining, all the lyrics in the song. And don't you know, Mr. Blue Sky's in a day. Hey. And with that, Mr. Blue Sky, please tell us why <laughs> you had to hide away for so long. Oh, long. Uh, see, right. I killed your flow because I don't really remember that song except that it was in the trailer for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It's been in a ton of things. Yeah? I love that song. It's uh, Mr. Blue that? Sky. That's ELO. Electro- oh, yeah. Electric Light Orchestra. Yes, Electric for those Light Orchestra who... for the kids. Uh, <laughs> yes, the the one and only right. electric. Not 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 to be confused with uh, like ELP. Not well BTO. ELP. E, there's ETO. BTO. Oh, Bachman Turner Drive. Oh, okay, I know that. Well, jeez, Grandpa. <laughs> see, you would be the Grandpa. You know these references. Uh, Jack's older than me. Just for oh, the we're going to be taking care of business, Andrew, every day. No, we're going to let it ride. I, I you ain't to... seen nothing yet. Uh, all right. With that, welcome to the Wages of Cinema, everybody. I am Jack. I'm Andrew. And uh, we're glad to be back. Um, we're coming at you a couple of days late, but uh, we're going to make up for it when the next no, podcast... No, don't tell them we're late. They don't know the difference. They might. Well, uh, I guess they don't know we're late. Uh, I mean, I'm late. Rub stomach. And we got a bunch of things to talk about. You know what? I'm angry about something today. You know why? Why? Because it seems like Pacific Rim 2 is not going to happen. I read that. Um, I don't know. I'm not angry about it. I'm. Of course, you're not angry about well, it. Well, because. I like the movie. I like the first movie. We saw it together. We both had a blast. Yeah, but why are you so blah on a Pacific Rim sequel? I don't think it's necessary. I think Guillermo del Toro has probably better things to do with the 80 other projects that he has lined up currently well yeah but you know he's never going to get at the mountains of madness made well not even that like he has other films like you just go to his imdb page and you'll see 40 in development projects and part of that i think is because he might have ocd i think maybe he looks at a project and says oh yes i want to do that and then he moves and then goes to another thing he's like oh yes i want to do that and then moves I mean, he's supposed to do a movie of the haunted mansion for disney another haunted mansion movie? yes which you well, know, isn't pacific rim two better than that yeah yeah well crimson peak looks better than that that looks like his haunted mansion movie but i heard that if crimson peak does pretty well at its, uh, on its October Maybe release, then that increases the likelihood of uh, Pacific Rim 2 happening. Yeah, I guess, no, no, it's it could be a good movie. Um, I, I'm not saying that. It's just that I I think that like, life's too short for him to just make a sequel. What, what Ron Perlman isn't getting any younger. We could still get a Hellboy 3. No. Oh. Wouldn't you want, like, let me weigh this. Hellboy 3 or Pacific Rim 2? Oh, well, I pick Pacific Rim 2. Really? Well, I like the Hellboy movies. It's just it doesn't have a personal connection to me. I mean, I've right. I've loved giant monster movies like Godzilla since I was okay since I was that's twelve. Fair. That's that. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I guess that's why I want Pacific Rim yes. too. And meanwhile, I've loved Ron Perlman all my life. Yeah, apparently. No. <laughs> I, 
I don't know. I just uh, no. I, I thought Pacific Rim I mean, like, two right was now. I'm looking at a copy in Jack's room. He's got a VHS copy of King Kong versus Godzilla. You know how many times I've watched that movie? Uh, ten times probably. Okay. Jeez, ten times. I well, love way, that movie. Well, then you would be happy though about the news that there is a King Kong versus Godzilla movie in the works. Yeah, you know, I you'd did. Think you know I, about that? Oh yeah, I knew about it. You'd think I'd be happy about it, but I'm just I'm kind of blah on that. You're weird. Wait, so you're really pissed about Pacific Rim Two not happening? But when I tell you that there is a new King Kong versus Godzilla movie, you're like meh. Well, King Kong versus Godzilla is an inherently goofy idea. Because, I mean, if you've seen any well, Godzilla, comparison... Well, Godzilla is an inherently goofy idea. A no, giant but lizard I mean, that attacks a city? Well, yeah, but, I mean, it's not like American movies have done him any favors. But <laughs> it's... Alright, this is complicated. Let me just say, I, really, I, st I still really want Pacific Rim 2 to happen. So if you like horror films and you like Guillermo del Toro, go see Crimson Peak. Well, go see it because he's making a quality uh, horror film, hopefully. Right, one that's not part of a franchise or is a sequel to anything. Yes. Um, again, no, I mean... It's but funny. enough of my whining. All right. Let's all right. get on to what well, you did. All right, right. Well, this past weekend, I took a trip to uh, the greater Philadelphia area for uh, a thing called RetroCon. Uh, now I went, uh, in large part, uh, because, uh, a friend of mine, Carl Stolarzario, uh, if you're listening, hi, Carlos. Um, he has a pilot that he's Perfect directed. Carlos. What? It's a Night Vale reference. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta listen to Night Vale now. I get that. Um, but we went down there. You haven't there. been listening to Welcome to Night Vale and you think I'm the weird person? <laughs> I've heard some episodes. I'm just not caught up yet. All right. So we were down there on Sunday uh, to uh, try to promote Losers, uh, our pilot that we're shopping around. Um, and m one of the main reasons I wanted to go, uh, because Losers wasn't screening. It didn't have a table. We were just there for the con. But there were two really awesome things about it. Uh, one was that there was a bevy of of cool 80s and 90s video games and toys and movies and a whole plethora of them all over the place for sale. And the angry video game nerd and nostalgia critic were there in person. And you met them. I met them. Uh, they're both uh, pretty ni They're both very nice people. I actually didn't get as much time with James Rolfe, uh, who's the AVGN, uh, because uh, his line was ridiculously long. And it was interesting because Doug Walker's line... Not not at all long. Like he barely had anybody, although he had steady traffic. So it was a strange thing where, like, there were a couple times where I thought, I wonder if Doug Walker's looking at James Rolfe and being like, "You bastard," <laughs> <laughs> you know, just because I didn't make a movie on like a half million dollar budget with like cheesy effects doesn't mean like I don't get the people. But anyway, but the point is, so I am. Um, the cool thing was that they were willing, they were going, they would be willing to sign anything uh, if you brought the, brought it Oh, you should have brought Corey. He could have signed her arm. That's This a good is the point. thing that Jack's wife does whenever we meet a celebrity. She says, will you please sign my arm? Her, it's, her soft, elegant arm. It started with a pun, of all things. Uh, as a side note, uh, years back, we met uh, Terry Gilliam at a screening. And so she That's decided. That's where it started? 
I think so. I can't remember if Sorry, she, go on, go on. But the point is, she decided to get the what she called gilly arm. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why, but she decided to get her arm signed by Terry Gilliam, and he was totally cool about it. Um, and so that's happened for a number of people. Uh, Werner Herzog signed her yeah, arm and that. famously said, "Your skin is very soft." And yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just I always remember that until the day I die. <laughs> um, also, this author Matt Taibbi of all people, he was mm-hmm. slightly weirded by it, but he still did it. Cool. Um, David, he she wasn't there when I met David Lynch. Uh, God, there must have been some other people. A lot of people have signed. But that the point on. is, so I'm there at RetroCon, and I figure, all right, I want to buy a, a couple of Nintendo games that I could get james rolf to sign you know there were so many nin- old nintendo games and you could buy like three for ten dollars it's a pretty good deal so i got uh, dick tracy and uh this bugs bunny nintendo game which i i'm not i might have played once but i have not much of a good memory of it but he did reviews of both those movies and dick tracy's actually one of my favorite reviews that he ever did just for his freak out. Yeah. There's no continues. Why? <laughs> I just, I, I get that in my head sometimes, but what I found, which I didn't get in the sign, but I was just flabbergasted by this platoon, platoon. on the Nintendo entertainment system. Yeah. That's Oliver that's Stone's really platoon. Weird. Yes. Now, have you ever seen this? I've never seen, I've no, yeah, I'm this holding up a copy to show to Andrew. <laughs> and I showed it to both Doug Walker and, and James Rolfe, and they were like, yeah, I think I saw that once. And it's like as if it's an apparition that... It's like the Loch Ness I, Monster or, or, or Sasquatch. I, I was genuinely shocked. I mean, because... <laughs> That's like... All if, right, it's one thing that... All right, two movies that came out in 1986, Platoon and Top Gun. You'd expect a game out of Top Gun. Top Gun isn't an NES game. It is a shitty NES game. But Platoon? Yeah. I, I know there's action in it, but it's a tragic movie. I mean, I, that's a movie I watched like, in high school history class. It's like if you made a video game out of Schindler's List. Almost. Yeah. I mean, do they have a scene in Schindler's the game List where... on the Super Nintendo. Hmm. Do they have the scene where the soldiers needlessly torch a Vietnamese village and where uh, Charlie Sheen shoots at the feet of uh, innocent Vietnamese people to, like, shock them? Yeah. I mean, the whole movie, like, the per- the point of the movie was to show as close as possible to what a, you know, a, a guy in a regular platoon, what his experience was like. It wasn't Predator. It wasn't uh, uh, like a black ops game or something. It was a pretty, you know, serious portrait of this guy's like alienation and uh, and like kind of awakening to how f-ed up war is. Well, it just goes to show you can make like it's just you know what it is? you know what's the funny thing though I haven't played the game because I've, it's one of those things where you know you blow into it you put it in the system. Well, you're not supposed to blow on an NES cartridges. <sighs> actually, doesn't I work. know. I need to get one of those q-tips or something to clean it but the point is you, you say q-tips as if it's like a new invention i gotta get one of them q-tips i you need know, to go down to the store them, and get them q-tips one of them ear swabs ear swab for my nintendo but the point is yeah play I, it. I, I, what what i'm about. wondering i wonder if it's a good game 
Because Probably usually, not. usually you see like movies that were turned into games had the LJN thing on them, and this does not. This has this is a yeah. The LJN logo is like the kiss of death for yeah, yeah. NES but, games, but it's not any kind of fake game. Like they made you know like a a game out of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that was unauthorized. That was that was on the Atari though. So sure, but yeah, like I said though, let's. Let's see if they make a, a game out of 12 Years a Slave next. <laughs> see how many times you can whip the Negro. <laughs> to see the next uh, level. Steal I don't mean to soap. laugh about it. I'm not trying to make light of 12 Years a Slave. I'm making... I'm kind of in horrific shock of... Uh, whatever. Uh, and actually, the funny thing is, though, is one last note. I, um, uh, I'm Facebook friends with uh, the critic Matt Zoller Sites. And uh, he's actually working on a book right now about Oliver Stone. So I took a picture of it and I sent it to him. And he had never seen it. And he actually asked me, uh, could you take a really good quality picture of this and send it to me? And then he was like, uh, actually, on second thought, uh, the book's already done. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he was genuinely surprised. Like, I don't think he had known about this. And, I, you know, it's I'm kind of curious if Oliver Stone knew about it now. <laughs> It would be worth asking. You know, you think that this guy is doing we'll a book on We'll get online. On I'll ask him about if there's another edition of Alexander coming out. You can ask him if he knows about the platoon. What else would he put in at this point? You never know. Would he put in slides from his vacation off in the desert into the movie or something? I'm just asking. Uh, All right. All right. So, so why anyway, don't we talk about some movies? Let's get into the two-minute movie mile where we talk about the movies that we have seen uh, since our last recording, and we get two minutes apiece, um, and at the end of, uh, near the end of this, we'll have a special little segment where we're going to talk about uh, a little trilogy of movies that you might have heard about that we were lucky enough to see on the big screen recently, me and Andrew, I should say. Here's a hint. It's not the Mighty Ducks trilogy. It's something else. No, and not... Uh, so, Jack. Yes. So, oh, um, You start, as always. Uh, yeah, I guess I probably, I, as a given, I, it's like, yes, it's a given at this point. I have more movies than you. Uh, all right. So let me just set up my stopwatch. So I'm ready when, when it's time to go for you. Uh, okay. All right, go. Um, can you believe that M night Shyamalan has finally made a decent movie? I heard that. I thought I wanted to find out if the rumors were true. It's called the visit and I hear it's funny. Genuinely funny, not like a not like an ironic funny. Um, there are genuinely funny moments. This is a strange movie, uh, you know, because these two kids get sent by their mom, uh, to go stay with their grandparents for a week while she, uh, the mother's off on vacation, and the kids are uh, part of the conceit is that it's a sort of a found footage movie, but not really. It's more in line with something like. Uh, Diary of the Dead is the closest thing I can think of, where it's more like a fake documentary because these, uh, t they're they're basically two adolescents who are have two cameras and they they would be filmmakers, um, but uh, yeah, the movie is genuinely funny. Sometimes it's also so bat crazy. I was kind of laughing even though I wasn't totally sure that I was supposed to laugh. Now. I'll say here. Well, I'll say is that it's the first real movie that I've seen from M Night Shyamalan in a very long time. If you know what I mean by that, he's put a lot of movies out there where the emotional connection is completely false 
or it's dead. You know, movies like Lady in the Water and Last Airbender and After Earth, you know, it's Devil. Well, I haven't even seen Devil, but those movies have characters where they all talk like this. They have very the expressions. Well, yeah, the ha- happening. Very, very ridiculous movies. This I can take seriously on some level. This is not to say there aren't problems with the movie, though. And it's one of them is the twist, which at first when I was sitting there, I was like, wow, that's really cool. But then as soon as you start thinking about it, it falls apart. And yet there are a lot of good performances, a lot of good emotion. So thank you, M. Knight, for lightening up. All right. Lightening up. Lightening up. Time. Shit. All right. Um, yeah. Good on you, M. Knight. Now, uh, the twist. You made a good movie. All right. Ready, set, go. All right. I just re- I, I rewatched uh, Jodorowsky's Dune. The documentary, yes. Right. All and about his attempts to here's make the thing a film I for- in the 70s. Right. Here's the thing I forgot about this movie, which is Dan, o- Dan O'Bannon's first meeting with Jodorowsky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what What was it? Like, he... Uh... Spe- he gave him special marijuana. Yes. And then he said, like this, boom. And then this aura came out of him <laughs> like a shockwave. <laughs> oh, man. Jodorowsky tends to do that. Yeah. And it's, it was really fun. I wrote down all the different ways, funny ways that Jodorowsky says different words. Like, it's not Dune, it's Dune. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of change, it's change. Mm. But uh, aside from this, it's a... Uh... It's a fascinating portrait of, like, artistic process. Yeah. You know, whether or not, you know, again, you know, some people uh, say, Oh, what? You, you know, you should have gotten that movie made. I kind of wonder if that if they had somehow got greenlit, if the movie would have come out the way that they. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Uh, I think they pl- easily see the whole film ending up over budget. I think that their plans were maybe a little bit far-reaching than what they were able to accomplish. But of course, the the great thing is that a lot of the examples that they set in that gigantic Dune book that they made, which is basically a gigantic storybook comic book, influenced. You know, uh, so many filmmakers. Well, I don't potentially. Think that, I don't think that they make the, a very clear case for that. I Do think you think that's a little? There's too a lot loose, of supposition, with the and exception of Alien. That. Alien, I think, was influenced by Dune. Well, Alien, uh, it, certainly because all the it, people were on it. Because it it, it gets Dan O'Ban- O'Bannon and and H.R. Giger to meet, and you know that's what leads to their collab to their work on Aliens. Uh, but still, it's just a lot of fun for a doc. I mean, it's a fun documentary. Uh, what else? What other movie can you say that about? Uh, time. Um, That's not an open question, by the way. All right. I, I had an answer. On but, to you, but, Jack. All right. All right, go. You got the touch! You got the power! I've finally seen the original, hey! the animated Transformers movie. I have. All right. Um, It's not bad. <laughs> I, you right. know, it's as good a movie as you can make out of this material for me. I disagree. You think there can be better? Of or... course. All right. Well, we'll see if that... You know what I would say is the, has what I genuinely liked in this movie? What? U- Unicron. I think that... All right. Is it the most perfect execution? Maybe not. But I love the idea. That, to me, is just a great idea that is just waiting. I want to see, like, Arthur C. Clarke's Unicron. I know he's dead, but I want to, I love that idea of a gigantic AI planet moving through the universe, eating other 
planets and robots. Like, imagine if that was a a disaster movie set today, where only you didn't have Transformers, you just had Unicron, and like human beings had to go and stop it. That's an interesting idea. I want to point out in this that this film is filled with celebrities. Filled with oh my god, and Robert just, Stack, Leonard Nimoy, Casey Kasem, Casey Kasem. <laughs> Uh, um, Judd Nelson. Yeah, Judd Nelson. Uh, yeah, a lot. Oh, uh, there's also one guy who I really liked hearing. Eric uh, Idle. Lionel Stander. Who's this guy who used to have a very gravelly voice? And Scatman Crothers. Also his last movie, along with Orson Welles. Yeah, Orson um, Welles. How could I So forget? I had fun watching it. Again, it's not nowhere near a great movie. But that... But it's... It was fun enough. It... I feel like there were parts of the story missing. I read that the script actually got kind of eviscerated while they were making it, which makes sense. I believe that. But for what it was worth, it's fine. Time. Oh, and quite the soundtrack. <laughs> I got to put that in there. Um, yeah. And Forever Immortalized by Dirk Diggler. Yeah. All right, ready, set, go. All right, I rewatched The Adventures of Tintin. Oh, good. Uh... Again, another animated film that's packed with celebrities. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are the two detectives. Right. There's you have, Andy uh, Serkis as as uh, Captain Haddock. Who are some of the other ones? Oh, Daniel Craig? Daniel Craig is the vil- villain. Uh, and it was written by Edgar Wright and Stephen Moffat. Um, and Joe Cornish. Right. Originally, but who cares Stephen- about him? He made Attack the Block. That's why you should care about him. Yeah. You jerk. Um... This is a supremely entertaining movie that uh, shows that Spielberg uh, is even is going another step further in embracing uh, visual effects technology and also animation. You could say that this is his first animated film, and I would say that uh, you know because he even though these are actors on a set and they're doing these actions, uh, what we call motion capture. Um, and uh, you can actually see in a documentary, I think on the DVD, it shows how he was directing them. Hmm. And yet, even though he had you know a barren set with green screen and the actors had kind of dots on them, he still directed it like he would any of his other movies. And so it has that feel of a solid adventure flick. Yeah, it's certainly not a cash in or just a one off. Uh, no. And it's just and it's still it's really it's still in Spielberg's wheelhouse because it's very Indiana Jones like. Yeah, it's it's like Indiana Jones Junior. You know, like Tin Tin. Yeah, uh, slightly implausible, but you don't care. <laughs> no, it, but he's he's it's but he's going for that too. Though, well, yeah, I mean, there's that whole sequence on the high seas where um. What's his name? The Andy Serkis' character. Captain tells, Haddock. Captain Haddock tells the whole story about his, you know how uh, he lost his object or whatever it was. And God, I'm blanking on it. I need to rewatch this. All right, final thoughts. Uh, Yeah, it's great. Pretty great. Really great, great. Time. That's so much for your final thoughts. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Let me just get a pen so I can write some things down here. Um. You and I saw that movie in the theater together, remember? We did. We should uh, we should make that a thing. We should see uh, other Spielberg movies. He has a new one next month. Oh, great. All right. It's good to know that young man is still getting work. Yeah. Ready? Go. Uh, Ricky and the Flash. Um, this is probably on its way out now from theaters, but uh, when it comes out on DVD, it's worth a rental. Uh, this is a new movie. Uh, the first 
dramatic film from Jonathan Demme in a really long time. And uh, Meryl Streep is this uh, aging rock star or would-be rock star. Uh, She basically plays bar gigs and she finds out that her daughter is kind of in a bad way and she goes back home. Uh, Her husband is, or ex-husband's Kevin Klein. So, um, you know, you're, you're basically watching, you know, kind of awkward family tension and some really good comedy from Meryl Streep and company. You know, of course, with Kevin Klein, you can't go wrong. Um, some good music too. I, I was actually kind of surprised by this movie. I, I thought it was going to be kind of a, a slog. I don't know. I, I wasn't sure you know, what to expect. You know what thought I just had? What's up? Meryl Streep in Gem and the Holograms. As who? As Gem. By this point, it would be better than anything else. Why not? Yeah. Uh, you know, again, it's not a great movie. Um, but if you want to watch, if you want to find a movie to watch with mom, maybe not my mom. I know she hasn't, she, she's kind of had it with Meryl Streep. If you want to watch but... a movie with Jack's mom. <laughs> yeah. She really likes Gaslight, apparently. Yes. Uh, but no, the point is, uh, so there's also some good music in here. Like she, what I like is that they don't push it. Um, they don't make her a big arena rock star. She basically has like a bar band and for a bar band, she sounds fine. She can belt out, uh, I love rock and roll and, uh, and taking care of business and songs like that. Um, bring up the BTO again. Um, uh, you know, and there's also her daughter plays her own daughter in the movie. Like oh, Streep's daughter cool. is her daughter and she's a good actress. I would be interested to see her in other stuff. Not with her mother. Time. Okay. I'm glad I mentioned that. Okay, last movie for me. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> it's been gonna... a slow two weeks. Well, aside from our trilogy coming up, but okay, go. All right, Safety Not Guaranteed with oh. Aubrey Plaza um, and a bunch of other people, but from mostly the dire- Aubrey Plaza. From the director of Jurassic World. Yeah. Which I, um, yeah, I have not seen this movie. It's pretty good. You know what it really reminds me of? Right. And this is going to come out of left field. It reminds me of Cat People. Okay. All right, because you know Cat People. Uh, uh, yeah. And it was made by uh, Val Luton, mm-hmm. who whose personal philosophy was that even in even when you have a horror film or any mm-hmm. sort of genre film, that the script underneath it should work without the supernatural elements. Yeah. And this is a film that is basically the same philosophy. It's about uh, a, a bunch of interns and a reporter in a magazine who go to investigate this personal ad of a man looking for a companion for time traveling. Mm-hmm. And they're like, this guy is obviously cra- crazy. He can't time travel. So it's that's the big question. They they follow him. They they get they become they befriend him. Uh, Aubrey Plaza's character Darius. She she's trying to find out more information, and she kind of and uh, it's basically like, well, does this guy have a time machine or not, and why does he want to go back in time? Mm-hmm. But it works. But whether or not he has a time machine is not the point. Mm-hmm. It's all about a th- the theme of regret. About if you could go back time, what would you change? Yeah. And what would you, uh, and can you uh, can you find real happiness with other uh, with other people? Mm. So it makes the most of its low budget. You're right. Saying. Absolutely. And uh, is I I kind of I kind of saw this and I thought from the previews or what I heard about it was also a comedy. It is. Yes. It's it's funny. Okay. Almost maybe and more of that super quirky. indie. Yeah, it felt like there were a couple of side characters in Jurassic World that felt like they were probably in safety, not guaranteed. Like, I know, again, you haven't seen Jurassic World yet, but uh, yeah, time. 
All right. Um, okay. All right. Um, it's up. It's another Jack Marathon. That's me slapping my face to wake myself up because I've been up since crack of early. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of movies to talk about. All right. Um, then let's get cracking. Go. Uh, Diary of a Teenage Girl. Um, this is kind of like what we call a sleeper. Uh, it's this movie that kind of comes in under the radar. Uh, I should say that it did play at Sundance, so that isn't exactly totally under the radar. But not a lot of people heard about this movie. You might have seen the trailer because it's, you know, a teenage girl who is, uh, having her first uh, kind of sexual experiences. And if you see the trailer, you see a lot of her interacting with what looks like oddball drawings. Cause she's like a cartoonist in the movie or she wants to be. And she's really in love with underground comics. And this is set of course, in 1976. So she's really art Robert Crumb and uh, his wife. Damn, I'm forgetting her name. But the point is though, the, the, what the movie with the trailer wouldn't tell you is that she's having an affair with her mother's boyfriend. So it's hmm. a bit illicit to say the least. Like she's, I think supposed to be 15 in the movie and her mother's boyfriend is played by Alexander Sarsgaard. Um, and so it's a movie that has a lot of pain, but it's also genuinely charming and interesting. The way that the drawings that she makes uh, come into um, this universe are really fantastic maybe a little reminiscent of you might think American Splendor only here. It has a different quality to it. Very sexual, very, I was almost slightly surprised this didn't get an NC 17, but I was happy it didn't because I think teenagers should see this movie. Okay. Uh, I think it's a good movie uh, in that sense. Uh, uh, Kristen Wiig plays uh, the girl's mother and she's really excellent. I wouldn't be surprised if you see some awards buzz for her near the end of the year. Uh, Go see this. I love this movie. It, it was. It's going to end up on my top ten this year. All right. Yeah. Time. Yeah, I wish I could have more to say, but yeah. All to... right. Next one. Let's get this done. Yeah. Go. The Perfect Guy. That... Doesn't that sound like a movie you want to see? <laughs> Sounds awfully bland. Yeah, the title is pretty bland, isn't it? I mean, it's another one of these freaking... Uh, Movies where, oh, I am a, a career woman and I've met this guy at a bar or in a place. So it and seems he's like charming a, it me. Seems like and this is a movie we've seen many times before. Well, you know, the the left turn is that, oh, but I've fallen in love with this guy. Oh my God, he's a violent asshole, and uh, he, you know, she tries to extricate himself herself from him, but he's stalking her. Um, it's a pretty bad movie. Um, the one thing that's a lot is, is really fun about though, is the actor who plays the stalker ex-boyfriend is this guy named Michael Ely, who, and this is going to sound really out of left field. He kind of reminds me a little bit like the black Klaus Kinski. He's this guy who looks intense all the time, even when he's kind of just sitting there looking like pleasant, you know, he has those eyes that are just like. That and all, there, there are also scenes where they just show him, you know, in his surveillance decked out uh, apartment, and he's just doing like push-ups without his shirt on, and just glowering over his computer because he ha- is like this surveillance guy who's kind of trailing <laughs> this woman all throughout her life. <laughs> uh, it's so goofy. I mean, I frankly, I mean, you, you 
the reason you a guy will see this movie is because he will kind of get taken by his significant other to see the movie. Um, yeah, this this doesn't seem like a good date movie. It, uh, I mean, it there's not much personality to it. Uh, you know, it's just kind of there. It goes through the motions. Uh, also a very unpleasant theater experience. I know that's not really part of the movie, but I kind of got the worst of people at this screening. Time. And I'll maybe I'll maybe tell you more about that off mic because it was pretty unpleasant. All right, next oh, up. Oh, here, hold on. Tell us about it. Uh, well, just really briefly, I mean, when I was in the theater, uh, it was like, you know, there, there were like these two old black ladies behind me, and... You know, there are some, like, grisly things that happen. Like, a person gets pushed down a flight of stairs, for example. And, like, that happens in the movie. And, you know, there are these two these two women were kind of chatty throughout the whole movie. And I, I should have told them to be quiet, but it was one of those it was one of those rare movies where, you know, if I told them to, do, to stop talking during this movie, they would just stare at me. Oh, yeah. Why, like I was an idiot. Why bother with this one? Yeah. But they were... But, like, this... Like this character gets shoved down the stairs, and these women say, "I mean, yeah, she deserved it. Good, yeah, good." What? It was mean. There were like these two really mean people, and it made me a little scared. Of like, what if there are more people like this seeing these movies? Now, granted, we were there in like the middle of the day on a weekday, so maybe these people were, you know, they don't have jobs or something. But uh, I don't know. It just was like one of those things where not only was the movie not good, but it left me with a very hollow experience. Oh, jeez. All right. So let me continue because I have another right. hollow experience coming up. All right. Let's get into it. Go. God's not dead. Oh, Kevin Sorbo. Ke- good old Hercules is here to save the day, only he's playing technically the villain in this movie, which... Uh, for those of you who don't know about this movie, this is uh, a faith-based movie. There's been a slew of these that have come out recently, and I guess I was kind of curious just to maybe see if it would be kind of a so-bad-it's-laughable type of movie. It's not really. This is a this is a movie that gets a lot of things wrong. Not even so much about faith. You know, that's, that's something else. Entirely. It gets college wrong. It gets college. How, how so? All right. So the premise of this is that this kid signs up for this philosophy class. And the very first day, the professor, played by Kevin Sorbo, comes in, tells all the students, all right, all of you have to write down on a piece of paper, God is dead. And that's 30% of your grade. What? <laughs> yes. And all but one of the students does this. And, you know, because he says, I'm a Christian, I, I can't do this. And he's like, well, now you're going to have to debate me about why God exists. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how college works, you <laughs> m****. That is like, uh like, this professor would be out on his ass. I don't care if he has tenure. And what? No, yeah, and this isn't a faith-based issue. This is a uh, simple It's a logic issue. issue. I felt like, you know, not only are you people... It reminded me of the Seinfeld jokes. So it offends you as a Jewish person. No, it offends me as a comedian. I was offended as an <laughs> academic watching this movie. Uh, very anti-intellectual, kind of anti-Muslim. There was a scene where, like, or maybe I don't know, maybe vaguely so. Like, there's this character, the side character. By the way, this movie is Crash for faith-based movies. So that's another oh, point. No. Suck. This Muslim father kicks the. Sh- daughter for listening to christian stuff time and uh 
Oh, that movie hurt. All, All right, right. Let, let's let's get the taste out of our. No, mouths. we have a good. I have a good movie coming up next. All right, let's do it. Go. The Lion in Winter. Oh yeah. Yes. Um, uh, have you Catherine ever seen Hepburn this movie? And... Catherine Hepburn and Pierre O'Toole. Right. Uh, where Pierre O'Toole is Henry the Second. And... The second time he played Henry the Second. Oh, what, what was the other one? Beckett. Beckett. Okay, we said that at the same time. Okay, I haven't seen Beckett, but I have seen. But I did watch this movie, and um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's funny that Catherine Hepburn was the one that won the Oscar. Where I thought Pierre O'Toole was freaking great in this movie. This might be one of my top two or three favorite performances from him. He's, you know, yelling through a good lot of it, but he's yeah, also in that Peter O'Toole way. Yes, that you just love. <laughs> Like that kind of thing. <laughs> if you've seen Caligula, you'll know that kind of thing that he does. Um, really, uh, you know, the writing here, you know, this is based on a play um, where, of course, you know, Henry II has to decide which one of his three sons will get the throne. And, of course, he's pulling for one son while his ex-wife, who he's excommunicated to go live in a... Banished. To banished. You know, and she's coming over for the holidays. That's that's my yeah. thing. There's almost an element to this movie, you could say, that's like a sitcom. Because, like, the two characters are almost like a sitcom husband and wife who are kind of bickering at each other. But when the writing is this good, I mean, it's hard not to complain. My only minor gripe is that it almost gets to be too much. You almost get kind of exhausted watching this movie. Because you're watching all this big acting, um, I, I had a I had a problem with this, and that I never really understood what any what the characters were trying to do. I mean, it's obvious. Oh, you saw what, the movie? Yeah, it's obvious oh, okay. what John and and what Richard are trying to do, but I never really understood quite what what Eleanor, thought, what no. what Catherine Hepburn's character was trying to. I think that she was accomplished. I think she was a very. She wounded... just seemed to be playing people for the purpose of just playing. I think she was a very wounded person, though. I think she, that's a big part of her character, and that was what made her interesting to me. Time. Oh, and I just meant to say, Timothy Dalton's in this movie. Cool. And Anthony Hopkins, his very first movie. Not sure if you knew that. All right, a couple more here to go. And I'll be All right, done. Go. Uh, the Sweet Hereafter. Uh, this is a movie from the late '90s. Uh, I dare I dare I say Ian Holmes' finest hour. Uh, so to speak, he plays this uh, lawyer who uh, comes to the small town and uh, either it's right on the border of U.S. and Canada or it's in Canada. And he's trying to get a lot of the townspeople to come together to uh, be a part of this lawsuit uh, because uh, their children, a lot of their children died in a bus accident. And, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the people want to go into it, but some of them don't. Uh, they're, they're not, you know, they think maybe we should keep the wound closed possibly by this point. And meanwhile, Ian Holmes character is dealing with a lot of things on his side. Uh, a lot of the best acting you could see from him, you know, is just him talking on the phone with his daughter and his daughter's really suffering. And it's kind of a good parallel with the suffering of these town people. Um, Sarah Polly has a small part in this and she's, uh, really, really excellent. Um, not always an easy film to watch. There's one big problem though. It's like one of those things where I'm watching this otherwise excellent movie and the story does like one thing that I, I don't want to spoil it because it's a, it would kind of give away a lot of the movie, but it's something between that happens between two characters that kind of gets dropped in seemingly out of nowhere. And even though ultimately the climax addresses this, um, in a very kind of creative way, 
it still rubbed me the wrong way and it kind of kept it from being a great movie, but I would still say that it's a very good one. Uh, lots of really chilly, frosty atmosphere to it. Kind of like Fargo. If it was, uh, you know, like even, you know, much darker, it wouldn't have much comedy in it. Uh, go see it. Time. All right. And, uh, Hmm. I'm just one more if... or two more. Uh, yeah, screw it. I have two more. All right, screw it. Go. I, all right, Beauty and the Beast. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I didn't see this movie in a long time. The animated oh, one yeah, me from too. Disney. That uh, this movie, I think, uh, it holds up tremendously well. I think the songs are extremely well integrated into this movie. Um, actually, it's funny if you listen to the audio commentary. Alan Menken talks about how there are certain moments that are just like a Broadway musical. Um, the way that, you know, Belle has her kind of moment where it's not even a full song. She just has this one moment where she runs from her house yeah. into the field. I remember that scene very well. Talks about I, what I want. And they, uh, they talk about how, an interesting point that, you know, like in The Little Mermaid, it's easy to tell what Ariel wants. She wants to go on land and have her man. With Belle, it's, it's at that point in the story, it's a little bit more... On, it's not completely as she she out. knows she knows what direction she wants to go. She just doesn't know what what achieving yeah. that entails. Yeah, and I like that a lot. I really like that this is a movie that is, uh, um, it, it appeals to intellectuals in a way because Bell is a reader, and the movie I think is mocking anti-intellectuals. You know, the whole town, this quote provincial town. You know, you transport this story into modern day, and this would be in like a rural hick. Or, you know, really dumb neighborhood where people like <laughs> reading, you know, even Gaston makes fun of her. It's like women shouldn't have books. And I guess I know this is supposed to reflect another time period, but I just found that kind of a fascinating note when I was watching it this time that I didn't pick up on when I was a kid. Um, also, interestingly, if you watch the special edition of the movie, there is a great moment where... Um, you're shaking your head. No, should I not bring it up? All right. Uh, Belle shows Beast how to read, which huh. is not in the theatrical movie. I think is a really necessary, touching moment. Time. Yeah. So, special edition. All right. Cool. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Did you watch just the theatrical version? Yeah. All right. All right. <clears throat> last last one. one. All right. Go. Toy Story. All uh, right. Dare I say a perfect movie or a perfect script, possibly? Everything rolls out here without a hitch to me. Um, you know, it's uh, and it's funny because you would think that the Pixar filmmakers wouldn't be able to uh, one up themselves, and yet Toy Story three is, I'd say, almost just about as good as the first one. Hmm. Um, but in this movie, it's uh, I think what their aims were uh, were really cool because they decide, all right, we're gonna try to attempt to make an all computer animated movie. Let's not try to do something too ambitious. Let's actually take something that toys already look plastic, so they won't look that bad if we're doing some of our computer animation. Well, it's the great um, idea of working within the medium. Yes. You know its limits, you know its strengths, so you play to those. Yeah, and they had already done like a tin toy short uh, before this. Um, I uh, also watched. I think again. it's worth noting that I've, I just read a book about Pixar, and oh, you remember Luxo Junior, the mascot, that lamp that hops up. Yeah, and down that was and... a short film, right? And it was it was submitted to an animated film festival, like uh -huh. a computer animated film festival, and everybody else had these like 
big 3D logos and rotating objects and things. Very technical. But then Pixar rolls out its short that actually has a story. And this yeah. has been the strength of Pixar this whole time. It's yes. not just technology. It's the emphasis they on story. Because if you don't story have story, characters. like their their mantra is story, story, story. <clears throat> yes. And that's been their strength ever since oh. Toy Story. And came one out. thing I found interesting, again, I can't, this might be a very tenuous connection, but watching this, it was interesting that Joss Whedon is one of the writers on Toy Story. And yeah, to me, he did a little work on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, two things about that. One, I kind of look at Buzz Lightyear as almost like the Captain America of the group. And two, apparently the line, wind the frog, was Joss Whedon's. And they had to make a frog to make the time for the movie. Oof. I don't know if that got through. You look exhausted. Well. And that's the two-minute movie mile. Yes. Stay tuned for our list movies, where Jack and I talk about two movies from the 70s, which... Uh, one from the 70s and one from the 80s. Yeah, the 70s. So, <laughs> but stay tuned. Yes, stay, stay tuned. Stay tuned.